I want to read for us John chapter 10, verses 1 to 10. This is the word of Almighty God. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Pray with me, friends. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you indeed are the good shepherd and our way to heaven. Now I pray that as we open your word, please, God, have mercy. Accomplish what only you can. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So I haven't talked with you guys much about what I got for Christmas. Primarily because you don't care. You shouldn't. But Josiah, my son, bought for me the DVD set of the entire series of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. That is, see? It's great nostalgia. I watched those cartoons after school as a kid. I would take sticks or toy swords and put them down like the back of my t-shirt. And then I'd whip them out and yell, by the power of Skull, You know, just like He-Man. It was fun. I had action figures. I was a happy kid. Now, best of all, here's what you guys need to know. He-Man and the Masters of the Universe was a far better cartoon than anything my children watch today. She was pretty good. She's all right. <laughs> He-Man was a cartoon that had real villains. Skeletor was a bad guy. He was not misunderstood, right? You weren't made to feel sorry for Skeletor because of his upbringing. You didn't question his motivation. He was an evil dude with a skull for a face and designs on conquering the world. Skeletor was not just proven to be evil because he offended He-Man. He tried to kill He-Man. So I want to say something to you that you need to know, but which is not popular in the world today. Villains exist. Even if you don't join with me on the He-Man nostalgia, though I cannot fathom why one would not. You know the old fairy tales, don't you? The little pigs, little red riding hood, even the original little mermaid, they were supposed to teach children to listen to their parents, to watch out for dangers, to avoid strangers, to not go off into the forest alone. Why? Because there are real bad guys in the world. There are people that regardless of their excuse, 
are dangerous and will, if they get the chance, hurt you. You guys know that's true? I mean, let me ask you, do you lock your doors? Yeah. Now, not only is it wise for children to be aware that that bad guys are out there, bless you twice, it's also important for you and me in the church to grasp that bad guys exist in religious circles too. There are people who would try to use the faith for their own gain. There are people who would deny the faith to try to gain a following. We need to be aware. We need to respond rightly. Now, we're moving into John chapter 10, but we're keeping close to the story that we looked at for three weeks in in chapter 9. There, Jesus healed a man who had been born blind. The religious leadership didn't celebrate the healing. Instead, they looked for ways to continue to oppose Jesus. And the Savior made it clear that if the leaders were unwilling to admit who he is, if they're unwilling to admit their need for salvation, they were the ones who were truly blind, spiritually blind. So in today's passage, we're going to go forward. We're going to find two key points that may help us to see Jesus as our good shepherd in comparison to those religious leaders, the dangerous bad guys who might do us harm. Point number one, guard against false shepherds. Guard against false shepherds. Again, one through six, let's read the whole section for us here. Truly, truly, Jesus says, I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers." This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Now, we don't know for sure if this saying of Jesus happens exactly at the same time as what we saw in chapter 9. But the concept of untrustworthy leadership is a theme that is certainly in place in both chapters. Jesus is going to use what John simply calls a figure of speech to talk about dangerous people in positions of power. Now, on the surface, what Jesus says here is not difficult. The Savior wants you to see that he's telling us an important truth. He says, truly, truly, I say to you. And the illustration is going to include a faithful shepherd, false shepherds, sheep, the sheepfold, and the gate. Every bit of this illustration would have been familiar to the people of Jesus' day because they knew about these things. John MacArthur says to us, quote, Each village in the sheep herding regions of Palestine had a fold where sheep were kept at night. The shepherds would graze their flocks in the surrounding countryside during the day and then lead them back to the communal sheepfold in the evening. There, the shepherds would uh, stop each sheep at the entrance with their, uh, with their rods and carefully inspect it before allowing it to enter the fold. Once in the fold, the sheep were in the care of the doorkeeper, a hired under-shepherd who would keep watch over them during the night. He'd give only the shepherds access to the sheepfold. 
Therefore, anyone who could not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbed up some other way, was a thief and a robber. Since the doorkeeper obviously would not let strangers in, would-be rustlers had to climb the wall of the sheepfold to get at the sheep. Only the one who entered by the door was a shepherd of the sheep. That's not hard to imagine, is it? If you keep that picture in mind, you'll have enough info to understand the figure of speech. We don't need a major Bible study on sheep and their habits. Jesus is not here trying to teach you about sheep farming. The sheep and all the rest are illustrative tools Jesus will use. So first up in the illustration is the concept of thieves and robbers. These have to sneak into the sheepfold over the wall. They can't go through the gate. Obviously, if somebody is the proper shepherd for the sheep, he goes through the gate. The other shepherd lets him in, no problem. But just as obviously, if somebody's not willing to use the gate, but slips over the wall of the pen, he's up to no good. Then you get a bit of a focus on the sheep. When the true shepherd calls, the sheep hear his voice. They follow him. They know better than to follow somebody who is not their true shepherd. Verse 6, though, John says, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they didn't understand what he was saying to them. Something about Jesus talking about shepherds, sheep, folds, should have made sense to the hostile crowd around Jesus, but the people didn't get it. So Jesus is going to have to unpack his illustration, and that's what he does in verses 7 to 18. But before we look at the things Jesus will explain, you and I can learn from this very simple illustration. God God has regularly taught his people in the word with illustrations of shepherds and sheep. All we need to do is follow that pattern of Scripture's teaching, and we're actually going to land on what Jesus was saying. So, When you think about the Bible, and when you think about shepherds and about sheep, where do you most naturally turn? Psalm 23. Anybody else buy that? Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's pretty good, right? God is the shepherd of his people. He leads us, cares for us, protects us, comforts us. One day... He'll bring us to dwell with him in total peace and joy forever. It's a good thing. It's a sweet psalm and it shows it to us. But from time to time in the Old Testament, we see that godly leaders, especially good kings, are spoken of using shepherding language. Numbers 27, 16, and 17, Moses asks God to give Israel a leader to lead them like a faithful shepherd after Moses dies. In 2 Samuel 5, verses 1 and 2, when all the tribes of Israel came to David, they rejected the house of Saul. They pointed to David as a shepherd over the people. And the promised Messiah, the God-man who will be the king forever, the son of David, he is promised with shepherd language. Isaiah 40, verse 11 says, He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Micah 5, verses 2 to 4. A very familiar passage, by the way, especially at Christmas time. Listen to this and listen to the shepherd stuff. 
First it says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. That's familiar, right? Yes, no? Yes, thank you. I appreciate you jumping in. Therefore, verse 3 says, He shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. There's no question that the people listening to Jesus knew that God used shepherd language to point to himself, to point to faithful rulers over Israel, and to point to the coming Messiah. That was just known by people who would have studied, and those people would have studied the Bible. So part of Jesus' figure of speech here in John 10 is him reminding the people that faithfully following the Lord and faithfully following leaders who themselves are following the Lord is a good thing. But part of this figure of speech, the majority of it, is a warning. It's a warning for the people, and it's a rebuke for the religious leaders of Jesus' day, because not all shepherds are good. Sometimes bad guys get into the pen to try to steal or to try to harm the sheep. So would it surprise you to know that God also uses bad shepherd illustrations in the Old Testament besides the good shepherd illustrations? If you look at it, we won't today. The entirety of Ezekiel 34 is an illustration of a shepherd, bad shepherds and mean sheep in long form. But for a shorter example, let's turn together real quick to Jeremiah 23. I want you to see a bad shepherd illustration in Jeremiah 23. I want to read to you verses 1 through 4 of Jeremiah 23. I hear the pages rustling. It's good to have pages, by the way. Y'all who use your phones, bless you. Again, I can't see paper, so my computer's reading to me. So I'm not judging you. But it's good to hear paper. Jeremiah 23, 23 verses 1 to 4 reads, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my, out of my flock, out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor, me, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. So Jeremiah is talking to the people of Judah, And it's near the time of the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. God says, and we know God's going to send the people of Judah into exile in Babylon for 70 years as a just 
right response for the people's unwillingness to follow his law. But notice here in Jeremiah 23, God has harsh word for the shepherds, the leaders in power over the nation. Verse 2, God says the leaders have not tended the flock, but have scattered the sheep. And God says he's going to tend to the evil shepherds, rightly judging them for failing to lead the people toward the Lord, toward his justice, toward his ways. Verse 3, God promises to bring the lost sheep back home. Now we know God does that after the exile, right? He returns the people into the land to rebuild and resettle Jerusalem. But this promise, if you read it there, it looks a lot bigger a lot better than the return of the people in 538 BC. God promises new shepherds. He promises fruitfulness. He promises genuine prosperity that's bigger than anything the Jews experienced upon their return. God promises in verse 4, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. And all of this is a hint that the evil shepherds, they're going to be replaced with good ones. Or maybe, maybe they're going to be replaced with just one really good one. The promised Messiah. Now, let me just ask you, does it feel like I might be reaching to find Messiah in that passage? I appreciate that you trust me. <laughs> You're right. Look at the next verses, though, just in case anyone's not convinced. Look at verses 5 and 6. In the same breath, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up from David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. That's Messiah talk, y'all. God promises that a descendant of David's will come. He'll be king. He'll reign in justice. He will reign in righteousness. He will bring peace. He is actually going to be the one who brings the righteousness of God upon the people over whom he rules. You ever see a king like that before? This is a promise of the Christ to come in fulfillment of God's promises to people like Adam, Abraham, and David. It promises the fulfillment of God's covenant promises. Now, interestingly, in Ezekiel 34, very similar passages, God uses a very similar figure of speech, right? He calls Judah's unfaithful rulers bad shepherds. He calls the people of God the flock of God. The passage promises exile. It promises return. It points to the coming of the Messiah. In Ezekiel 34, uh, 23 and 24, the word of God says, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant, David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant, David, shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. 
as a tangent, how many, how many growth class Sunday school bells does this ring in your ears? For you who were here, you blessed souls, this sounds like some of that stuff we were just talking about. God promises the people that David will be their shepherd. But if you know your Bible timeline, you know that that's this, these words of uh, Ezekiel are written around 400 years after David was dead. God is promising these people that the son of David, the promised king in David's line, he's going to come shepherd the people. There's going to come a time when the bad shepherds no longer have power. There's going to come a time when the, the, the wicked, hurtful, mean-spirited sheep can't hurt the other sheep anymore. There's going to come a time when a descendant of King David will be the true shepherd over the flock of God. That faithful shepherd to come is Jesus. Jesus is the son of David who will rule forever as king. Jesus is the one who brings the righteousness of God as a gift to those who will simply entrust their souls to him. Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of every one of God's promises and he's the only savior any person can have. So I ask you, have you come to Jesus for salvation? Now bring your mind back round to the figure of speech in John 10. Jesus spoke of a faithful shepherd. He spoke of robbers who would try to sneak in among the sheep to harm them. He spoke of the sheep following their faithful shepherd for their good. And anybody around Jesus at this moment, any one of those Jewish religious teachers would have well understood This is reminiscent of Ezekiel 34 and Jeremiah 23. And now it's obvious Jesus isn't talking about the political leadership over the nation. You know why? The Jews had no king. There is no political leadership over the nation. Jesus is warning the people, his hearers, against the selfishness, the evil-heartedness of the religious leaders of his day. He's warning against the Pharisees who were blind to his glory, blind to the kindness and tenderness of God for God's people. Jesus was warning against Pharisees who would condemn him for healing a blind man on a Sabbath day because the healing didn't fit into their made-up extra-biblical set of commandments. Jesus warned against men who came into the sheepfold over the walls. They're men who set themselves up as authorities and they add false things to the word of God. The hundreds of extra regulations that the religious teachers in Jesus' day showed them to be self-appointed shepherds whose authority was in their minds and not in the word of Almighty God. So watch out. That's the point here. Guard against false shepherds. Y'all, there are voices in our society that will try to climb in, stand among us, and proclaim themselves to be voices of wisdom, voices of safety, voices of leadership. But if those voices are not bringing us the word of Almighty God in concert with faithful biblical interpretation, they're very dangerous Indeed. So I want to share with you four categories of 
shepherds, leaders maybe, that you might want to watch out for. This is just me trying to bring some application to this section. How about first, the secular expert? Many Christians are powerfully influenced by people who don't know Jesus, but who present themselves as if they are helpful experts. You guys know what I'm talking about? Consider the moralizers on social media. They promote to you the different forms of critical theory, and they act like this is proven, unquestioned fact that society will be improved by if we would adopt. That is not true. Consider those who tell us that an acceptance of homosexuality or a, an embracing of the abortion culture, that's just settled morality in today's world and we need to get with the program and get on the right side of history. Consider those who preach to our children that refusing to celebrate anybody's life choice is hateful, violent, and evil regardless of what the scripture says about that life choice. How about the secular expert that will tell you that you're not special. You're a thing. You're a collection of random chemicals that have come together over billions and billions and billions of years. Therefore, you have no intrinsic worth. You don't think those expert voices are around you? You don't think they try to lead us? They do. These are dangerous shepherds. They're not authorized by God. And they're sneaking over the wall into the sheep pen to try to lead you astray. Do not let them. With me? Second, how about the false teachers who claim Christ? There's a lot out there you know, right? There are men and women. Some of them will hold Bibles in their hands. Some of them will hold it up and with a smile say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. They declare themselves to be followers of Jesus and then they lead people into prosperity theology, liberation theology. Listen, if you see a teacher mishandling, misinterpreting or intentionally misusing scripture, watch out. If you see a person telling folks that the Bible is about promoting the good of one ethnicity over the good of other ethnicities, look out. If you see someone telling you that the Bible is about making Christians get rich and live easy lives if they'll just believe hard enough or maybe give enough dollars to their ministry, turn away. If you see a teacher denying the truth of the miracles in the scripture... Beware. If you see a teacher telling Christians to compromise the word of God for the sake of something like even evangelism, look out. If you see a teacher telling folks that what God said about gender and sexuality was for the first century, but not the 21st century, do not follow. They're false shepherds. Still with me? Third. There are those who would come into the local church and who would immediately seek to influence others in the body without proper authority. You know, one of the reasons that we have church membership 
and a plurality of elders is so that all who are part of the local church have actually committed themselves to one another's good and have committed themselves to the leadership that the Lord has established. Now understand this. Just because I hold the role of elder doesn't mean that I outrank you as the united body. You as the united body can unelder me in a heartbeat. Well, it takes a couple of weeks, but you can do it. I don't outrank you as a united body, but God has given me by his grace the charge and the authority to watch over your souls. But there are people who would come into a local church and who would seek to immediately be influencers without working with the leadership of that church. Watch out for somebody who would attempt to undermine church leadership. Watch out for somebody who would try to influence people based on their interests because they can be dangerous. You got somebody that shows up at the church and immediately starts bad-mouthing the church and the leaders? That's not just a, that, that may not just be an ugly sheep. That may be a false shepherd. Make sense? Okay, fourth. And this is a little different. I'm thinking here about folks who aren't bad guys. They're not villains. They're not intending harm in any way. They're not even doing something wrong necessarily, not teaching false things. But Jesus does say that dangerous shepherds sneak into the sheep pen. They give themselves authority. And the, the idea there is that, God, that they're taking authority that they don't actually have. God didn't grant them this authority. And I wonder how many of us are far too easily influenced by teachers we like, ministries we think are generally good, but which do not have biblical authority in our lives. And here I'm going to thinking about social media, podcasts, parachurch ministries, that perfect pastor down the road. Now, I'm asking for a little indulgence from you here because I don't want to sound self-serving. I really don't. And I'm sharing with you something here that is not the central purpose of this passage, but I believe, and by the way, I bounced it off the elders and they agreed with me. This is a caution that's both true and needed in the world today. Many of us, me included, benefit from pastors of other churches and leaders from outside ministries. Do you guys, do you guys benefit from other pastors and other voices? I hope you do. And they're not false shepherds. But there's a danger here. Sometimes we far too easily give outside voices, voices of shepherds who are not our shepherds, the right to influence us. And sometimes those voices influence us to the good, but many times those voices actually lead Christians to conflict and compromise and dissatisfaction in their home or in their church. We might, in fact, say this is less a false shepherd sneaking into the pen. Maybe it's more like a little sheep hopping over the wall to go where it shouldn't be led. Let me illustrate. When I was in college, I loved being involved in a Christian student ministry on campus. You guys ever see those kind of groups, right? In fact, I liked my parachurch student ministry on campus far more 
than I liked being a part of my local church. You can imagine it, can't you? I didn't have nearly as much oversight there, a lot more freedom. Everything was done in a style I liked. We were all the same age. We were all interested in the same sorts of things. We all thought the same way for the most part. The people in leadership in the campus ministry, though, they had no spiritual authority in my life, according to Scripture. But I respected and heard those voices far more than I respected and heard the voices of the pastors whose leadership I was biblically bound to follow. And for that, I was wrong. Does that make sense? I'm not telling you to stop listening to every voice that's not from inside PRC. I don't want that for you. But I am cautioning you Christians, especially those of you who love to be online and who love the outside ministries and who love the parachurch ministries. I want to I caution you to guard your heart. Do you give your attention more to outside teachers than to the local church? Are you more committed to the good of people in other ministries than to the people of your local church? Do you give more of yourself to those in other ministries and to those ministries than you give of yourself to your local church? When you hear something you don't exactly like in the local church, do you immediately run to the internet until you find an article or a blog post that supports your position and then give that position authority higher than all the brothers and sisters in your local church, the ones to whom you're bound by church covenant? How about this one? Are you just disappointed in the fact that your elders in the local church are not as smart as the big conference speakers you find so appealing? Because by the way, we're not. But be careful. Because you might be following good voices. But those voices aren't your shepherds. And I think if you're going to be a faithful sheep, you need to be careful what voices you give authority in your life. Is that fair? Let me add, if you're not a member of PRC, either in this room right now or hearing me when we put this baby on the internet someday, if you're not a member of PRC, the elders here and I are not your shepherds. We're happy to help you where we can. But, but you need to be a committed member of a faithful local church. And you need to be committed to learning from the voices of the shepherds that God has given you in your local church. See, God has you here for a reason, PRC. And if you're in another church, if you're a member of another church, if that's your church, he has you there for a reason, including the strengths and the weaknesses of the shepherds in that body. If you're in Vegas... And you want to be shepherded by us here at PRC? Come on, join the church. If you're in Vegas and you're in an unfaithful church and you want to be in a faithful one, we're happy to have you. But if you're not here in Vegas, maybe those folks on the internet are visitors, 
Or if you're not a member at PRC, here's the thing. You need to be a committed member to a faithful church wherever you are. Again, I want you, please understand this, I want you to learn from godly men and women all over the world. I want you to learn from faithful conference speakers and seminary professors and podcasters and bloggers and authors. But if you find yourself more influenced by those folks than by your church elders and your brothers and sisters in Christ here in the church, or if you find yourselves more committed to their ministries than you are to your local church, something is wrong. Christians, let's watch out for the temptation to follow the wrong shepherds. Sometimes they're obvious. Sometimes they're sneaky. My little extra added illustration is sometimes they're really actually pretty good dudes, but little sheepies shouldn't be hopping out the pen. Any true shepherd has to be under the authority of the word of God. Any true shepherd in your life should be put by God in a proper position of authority in your life. So look at who influences you and guard against following the wrong shepherds, especially the false ones. With me? We're willing to tolerate with that little indulgence that I think is an important counsel. Do you see why that might be important counsel for a modern believer? I hope you do. Second point. Let's get a little Jesus-y, huh? Find life in Jesus alone. Find life in Jesus alone. For those of you who don't know, this is the believe in Jesus point. Just thought you should, I don't want to be sneaky. Seven to 10. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, you need to know that this figure of speech of Jesus, this, this metaphor or whatever, it's a little loosey. At one moment, Jesus is a shepherd. At another moment, he's a door which tells you he's using the figure of speech to help you. Don't overinterpret it and don't try to find a meaning for every little piece at every little moment. This is not an allegory. But Jesus shifts the metaphor slightly here. The meaning's still clear. He says, "I'm the door of the sheep." And if you want it, what this means is very simple. If you want to get to God, there's only one door you can go through to get there. That door is the Lord Jesus Christ. Simple enough? Other people have come and gone. They've tried to put themselves before Jesus. In that context here in John 10, the Pharisees are teaching other people that Jesus is not from God. They're saying that Jesus is a false and dangerous teacher. They're, they're saying that their teaching is the one that leads to God, not Jesus. But Jesus just tells us, look, those men, be they the Pharisees of his day, be they the false gospel teachers in our day, they are thieves, they are robbers. But those who are the true sheep of Jesus, they're not going to listen to thieves and they're not going to listen to robbers. Part of being a true believer in Jesus, one of the signs that you know Jesus is that you don't 
You don't allow yourself to be easily led astray from the true gospel. You don't turn away from Jesus and try to affirm some other way for people to be saved. Jesus is clear that those who enter through him as the door, they're saved. They find pasture. Look, for a little sheepy out in the field, there's all kinds of dangers, especially at nighttime. That's why it has to go home. It goes through the gate. It goes back to the pen. And then it's safe from danger. It's safe from harm. And that's physically true for sheep. And that's spiritually true for those who come to God. The only way you can come to God through the person of Jesus Christ. We can find pasture. We can find everything we need for life. We can know that we're under the protection of God himself. Look at verse 10. Here's the ultimate contrast. There are thieves. Why do the thieves come? They want to steal and kill and destroy. They're extreme harms. Those are extreme harms that bad guys want to put on the sheep. But Jesus didn't come here for that purpose. Jesus has come to give us life, abundant life. I like the word abundant. It's a word that means overflowing more than enough life. Would you like some overflowing more than enough life? Ladies and gentlemen, we all want life. I think we want goodness. I think we want safety from harm. You will not find that spiritual safety or you will not find that spiritual life in any other person. Our only hope for true life is to find that life in Jesus Christ. And when we find that life, we'll find that Jesus doesn't merely give us life. He gives us life that is abundant, overflowing more than enough. If you don't know God, if you don't know whether or not you're saved, I invite you just the same way Jesus would invite you. Come to Jesus for life. Believe that Jesus and Jesus alone can save your soul and bring you into the fold of God. Confess your sin. Believe that Jesus died to pay for your sin. Turn from being your own master. You're not your own shepherd. Yield yourself to Jesus. Believe and be saved. And for you who know Jesus, follow him. Guard against false shepherds. Worship your Savior. Point others toward Jesus because he's the only way any of them will be saved. Let's pray together.